proclaiming the gospel, on making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. And so uh, we are excited about a lot of things. First of all, if you notice, there's some uh, little posters on the back with QR codes on them. If you want to sign up for anything at Grace or just get connected, you can use your phone camera, I believe. I'm actually not techie, but you can point it and grab the uh, QR code with your camera. So that's exciting. And also uh, a few things we've been really excited about this year, baptisms and new members. We've in the midst of COVID and all this stuff going on, we've had a ton of both, which we're praising the Lord for new members, Tiffany Shimamura, Stephen Diaz, Mark and Jenny Teese, Brandon Mickey, Paul and Barbara Ratkovich and Rick Johnson. So if you know them, say hi, welcome them. Uh, and if you want to know what membership is, why we do it, why we believe it's a biblical practice, uh, you can join us for our next membership class. It'll be coming up soon. Uh, you can go online to get more info about that. And also we have baptisms coming up on December 6th. So if you trust in Jesus, if you believe in him, but you have not been baptized, uh, the, Jesus commands us to be baptized, to say to the world, I'm, I'm with Jesus, I believe in him, I want to follow him, and so uh, let us know that you would like to be baptized if you're a believer but have not been baptized. Lastly, uh, what's happening tonight? First hour all new. Yeah, yeah, the, pra the praise gathering. That's tonight at 6.30 here. Uh, we won't be having dinner together. Just keep that in mind. There will be some individually wrapped desserts and coffee, uh, but no dinner here, 6.30 tonight. Well, if you would stand with me, we're going to read uh, from Psalm 115 as we continue worshiping the Lord. Psalm 115, verses 1 through 3 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation, nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. 
And Lord, we worship you that you are the God who controls every molecule in this universe, who rules with wisdom and justice and power and might. And we ask that you would help us to worship you this morning. We are weak and our minds and our hearts have wandered this week. And so restore our joy, restore our awe of who you are in your majesty and your glory this morning. Amen. for 
His voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Behold our God, seated on His throne, come let us adore Him. Behold our King, nothing can
If you're able, please remain standing with me and turn to Ecclesiastes. We'll be in chapter 7, and we'll read verses 23 through 29. Ecclesiastes 7, starting in verse 23. This is what God says to us this morning. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. You can be seated. We're going to pray together this morning. Uh, and as we do, we want to remember Nate and Bethany Emerson. Nate and Bethany work with Crew, formerly Campus Crusade, uh, and they work on the administrative side, supporting the teams that are uh, on the campuses there. So uh, we're going to pray for them this morning. Uh, and if you would, pray with me. Father, we come before you because of Jesus' blood and because he rescued us in kindness, even while we were dead in our sins and running away. And so we worship and thank you this morning. We thank you that we are able to worship you, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who has fought for his people throughout history and governed every event to bring about the birth and the life and the death of your son on the cross on our place. You fought for us then, you fight for us now, you will fight for your people until the very end when you make all things right. And so we praise you that you are the God who, who wars and who wins and who turns evil to good in this world. You are the victorious God. And so we worship you this morning that you've rescued us. We praise you for your faithfulness across generations and continents and people groups, families, nations, seasons. You remain faithful and patient and gentle with your people. And so we worship you. Father, we we repent and we turn away from the fact that we, we know these things. We, we might read your word and pray, but our heart is, is dry and slow. It, it's quick to wander. And so we pray that you would help us change us at the, the level of our heart and our desires and our motivations this morning through the preaching of your word. Let Jesus reign in our hearts Father, change us to the level that those, those quick moment-by-moment -moment responses that come out of us this week are pleasing to you, that they would give grace to those around us and be gentle and patient. Father, we, we also pray that you would give us wisdom as we study this book of Ecclesiastes. Open our eyes to eternal realities, eternal truths. Help us to think and live in a way that has eternal impact and value. And Father, lastly, we pray for the Emersons. We pray that you would strengthen and encourage them. We pray for Nate and Bethany and their new little baby as they get settled back into Florida, Lord. May their, their ministry at Crew, uh, doing administrative work, may it allow the gospel to penetrate into campuses and dark university settings that reject the truth. May the applications that they make and the different tools that they make penetrate the truth and the light of the gospel into those dark places. 
And Father, as you send us out this week, may we live in a manner worthy of the gospel. May we have boldness and wisdom and courage as we go into our workplaces to be lights for the truth. God, we want those who are are opposed to you, we want them to bow the knee to Jesus so that they might have eternal joy in you. So help us, change us this morning under the preaching of your word. May we be an encouragement and, and a tool that you use to sharpen and build up one another this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
thank you that we get to gather this morning. We thank you for this tent. We thank you for these people. God, we thank you that we have a place to be together. Would we not forget how, how special and wonderful that is, especially in this time? Father, would our cry, both this morning and, and all week, God, would we sing your power to save? Would we remember who you are, our mighty God, our gracious King, the one who redeems a people, not because of their worthiness, but because of his goodness? Would we think on that? Would we remember that? Would we, would we know that? This week we ask, we pray all by the blood and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We've already stood in honor of God and His Word to read the Word, and now, and now we get to receive it again and just go through this passage verse by verse. Today we're going to focus on searching, scheming, and the sovereignty of God. Searching, scheming, and the sovereignty of God. How we should, and really this is the point, how we should stop searching and scheming and rest in God's sovereignty. This is what God wants us to do. This is what we'll see in this passage. And it hits us right where we live. Some people are always searching for God knows what, uh, so caught up searching for something that God has already said you won't find. And we get frustrated and we invent reasons to be dissatisfied and, and we invent reasons to worry. And some are always scheming. Scheming to find ways to go against God slyly planning put-downs and take-downs and smack-downs of, of presumed enemies in their life. That might be you. You might have spent a lot of time this week planning out, you know, revenge, premeditating revenge on people that you think have hurt you, purposefully excluding people, uh, painfully avoiding other people, all to insulate yourself. What we do, we, we withhold forgiveness we feed suspicions, we allow indiscretions, we binge on addictions, we coddle our inconsistencies, we, we starve love. We fracture fellowship, we, we kill community, we allow sin to go unchecked. We are exhibit A of depravity. We, and we're not alone. We're not alone. Who's the one who tried to search out the scheme of things? And who's the one that, that schemed a, around God's standards? And who's the one that came back to, to rest in God's sovereignty? And none other than Solomon himself. And not just Solomon, his father David. David, who worshipped God and then went astray and then returned to the Lord and, and worked a lot of it out in the Psalms. But it ran in the family and it runs in the human race. We're all in the same boat. But the answer is for us to stop searching and stop scheming and to rest in the sovereignty of God. To find our rest in, in God who made us. Uh, to find your rest under the unexplained things of life. As the psalmist even said in Psalm 62.1, my soul finds rest in God alone. In God alone. Even that psalmist spoke to himself in that same song. He said, my soul, find rest in God alone. He declares it, and he tells himself that same truth. 
Ecclesiastes, it teaches us some great things. Reminds us, I mean, from the get-go, we can't figure this out. We're not in control. Great for 2020. Great that we started this series in March of 2020. Only God knows. Only God satisfies. Find your rest in him. Live in light of dying. Live in light of your death so that you can actually live this life purposefully for Christ and Scripture. Align with God's purposes. We're coming to the end of chapter 7 today. And it's a good place to be because in chapter 7 it started with with death as a preacher, preaching a sermon to us, teaching us some valuable life lessons. Among them, your reputation matters, and you need to receive rebuke, and you need to resolve to die well. And then last week, we were in verses 15 through 22, where it just told us very clearly, be watchful, avoid self-righteousness and rebellion, and then be wise, admit your many sins, receive the forgiveness of God. Now we come to verses 23 to 29, and it's all about wisdom. It's all about admitting our searching and our scheming and finding rest in God's sovereignty. First thing I want you to notice is in verses 23 to 25 that we innocently search out the scheme of things, that we want to find things out, but this passage is going to tell us do not Search for the grand scheme of things. You're not going to find out every answer. Look with me at verse 23. If you have your, you know, hard copy Bible, you've got an electronic device, whatever it is, put your eyes on verse 23. He begins this way. He kind of sums things up, and he says, all this I have tested by wisdom. And I said, here was his goal. I want to be wise. I will be wise. But he he admits it was far from me. Far from me from me. So you are wise when you can see how elusive wisdom is. It's, it's part of being wise to recognize that you're never going to figure it all out or to meet someone who has. And so Solomon says, all this I tested by wisdom, but in the very next breath he describes how elusive it is. He says it's far from me. That's, that's a term that's used of physical distance. It's used in Genesis 22 of of Abraham looking and seeing the place from afar. And this is a metaphor here describing something out of reach, something tough to attain, something hard to grasp, like like a mouse, like a mouse in your house. I just remembered this morning that when our eldest uh, was just a baby, Angela and I were living in this this condo, and and one day we saw this little mouse, little fievel. And uh, it was just darting around, and so we tried to catch it. And Angela said, I'll be at my parents' house in Whittier. You just let me know when you catch the mouse. It was incentive to catch that mouse. I remember another time we were at another place we lived, and this mouse is just darting around. And, and I was just asking Angela a few minutes ago, I said, did we catch that mouse? And she's like, no. I think it ran out the door. But wisdom and, and the scheme of things is hard to grasp like a, like a little mouse darting around. And he says in verse 24, that which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Now, you're going to have an emphasis here where he says, who can find it out? It's deep, very deep. Deep is repeated twice in a row here. In Hebrew, it's very strong. It's rare in Hebrew to repeat like this. And it's a strong emphasis describing something difficult to discern, difficult to draw out, something hidden, something tucked away, something that defies our easy explanation. Douglas Adams in 1979 wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and he 
claimed that 42 is the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. Ecclesiastes says no. That which has been, what God has determined, what God has decreed, what God has already set forth is hidden in the secret vault of his wisdom, and it's not for you. You're not getting that. In fact, Deuteronomy 29, 29, it tells us that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Verse 25, he says, I turn my heart to know and to, to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things. We know that God gives wisdom generously to those who ask, but you are not going to figure everything out in life. And the sooner you learn that, the better the less worry and anxiety you will have. Again, go back to Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, and the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. What are the things revealed? What God has given us in the word of God. His written word says that we may do all the words of this law. The things revealed belong to us. But do not search for the grand scheme of things. You won't find it out. If you would find your rest in God, Cling to the word of God and pray. Pray, pour your heart out to God. Tell him everything that's on your heart and cling to the word of God. Don't cling to your worrying mind. As Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tell us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He will lead you. He will guide you. Find your rest in God you must cling to the word and prayer. You know, in 2020, worry abounds. This is the year of worry. It, it's been found that 70% of people right now in 2020 uh, are worrying about if they're gonna have enough money or when the kids are going back to school or if they're gonna get COVID. We're just worrying all the time. There was a survey done of the 10 most prevalent life worries and they're all to do with health and money. Diet, job, job security, whether you can pay the mortgage or the rent, credit card debt, low energy level. People worry about their low energy level. They worry about their paying back their loans. They worry about their fitness. They worry about their lack of savings. They worry about growing old. And the number one worry, being overweight. It's been found that each week we spend 14 hours worrying. That's 744 hours a year. That's, that would be 45,000 hours in your lifetime. That's 1,885 days. That's saying I'm going to take five years of my life and just worry. No one's making that deal right now, but this is how we're living. And this is the Bible. The Bible must drive the discussion. You must see the world through a biblical lens not seeing the Bible through a worldly lens. Do you know how many books are out there, quasi-Christian books, and that's a, that's a generous description. A lot of quasi-Christian books are appealing to those who are disillusioned with life or disillusioned with the church, and they let go of biblical truth. They feed error, they feed worry, they feed sin. See, when you're worrying, you're, you're being distracted from your legitimate duties. It's a contagious virus. Worry. What if? What if? Oh no. 
This is why God's pure word, and especially Ecclesiastes, where we're here right now, is so good for your soul. It just recalibrates you to what matters. It, it tunes your heart in to what is important. Not just this life. Not just this life. We are to be living in light of dying because eternity is real and it is looming. There's a big way that we're different from the people who originally received the Bible. The people that originally received the Bible were focused on the future life. They were focused on, on the future life. They wanted to be right with God so they would have eternal life with God. We're worried about the present life. They want to know, how can I know God? How can I be right with him? How can I have eternal life? We want to know how to make it through the day or the month or the year. We're so fixed on today. This life is temporary. Ecclesiastes has been telling us this since March. The life to come, it's eternal. Paul even says, we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen, because the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen, they're eternal. They're forever. Fix your eyes on those. And you come into the word of God, and you're like, I want to cling to the word of God. It's not just to get you through today, though there are very helpful things for you to get you through today. And it's not something you just put in your head. You also have to get it into your heart. That's why the psalmist said, your word I have treasured in my heart that I would not sin against you, God. And it must find its way into your hands and your feet and the, your, your thoughts and your words and your actions and your choices. What does God say in Isaiah 66 too? This is the one I will look. This is the one I will give special attention to that I will, uh, I will show mercy to. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. We're trembling at 2020. We're trembling at life. We're trembling at COVID. We have excessive concern for the affairs of life. That's worry. Worry abounds in 2020. You need to choose peace, not worry. That you need to subject your mind to the word of God so that you settle your subjective searching with the objective word of God. Something more sure. We have something more sure. 2 Peter 1.19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. We're living in a dark world. The word of God opens up our, the path to, for us to see true reality. It even says until the day dawns and the morning star uh, rises in your hearts. That's when Christ returns, when Christ comes back. So if we would grasp this today, we would not search for the grand scheme of things because we won't find it out. We will cling to the word of God and pray. Secondly, let's look at verses 26 through 28. This is something we do, and, and this is sobering. We sinfully and unwisely scheme to get our way, and we're very sly about it. We, we, we are told, and this is what it's going to tell us, don't, don't unwisely scheme to get your way. You'll be found out. God knows. Look at verse 25, the end of verse 25. He says, I turn my heart to know wickedness and folly and the foolishness that is madness. Because despite God's good design, mankind is determined to defy God, to go against him. And the results are obvious. The results are crushing. And they're heartbreaking. Look at verse 26. Solomon says, I find something more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares, 
and nets whose hands are fetters. He's bringing a conclusion about a certain kind of woman, and he says it's more bitter than death. Her heart it has hunter's instincts, snares and nets. Those are hunting terms to catch the prey, to kill the prey. And she has forceful intentions, hands like fetters. Those are shackles, those are chains. Those are prison terms to hold captive. And, and this is not, don't take this the wrong way, this is not misogyny, this is not negativity against women. Uh, you can contrast the, the picture of pure married love in chapter 9. What this is, is Solomon being realistic about mankind, male and female. He is consistently pointing out the flaws and depraved nature of man, male and female. He's, he's been on this quest to discover the the schemes of the world that led him to uncover the danger of sexual sin with the adulterous woman. And he, of all people, was qualified to speak to this topic, to describe the destruction that sin brings into a life. Solomon had boldly disobeyed God. In Deuteronomy 17, 16 and 17, it says, the king must not acquire many horses for himself. The king must not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall the king acquire excessive silver and gold. These were all the things that Solomon did. He collected gold and horses and a harem filled with a thousand women. And so if anyone would have been able to be satisfied, it was Solomon. And you know what Ecclesiastes' answer is? Nope. If you're taking notes, write it. N-O-P-E. Nope. Uh uh-uh. uh. I don't know how to spell that. Uh uh-uh. uh. No. He sums it up. The adulterous woman is deadly snare, better death than to fall into her hands. You fall prey to the charms of an adulterous woman. You are held captive and a prisoner in chains. By the way, you are not a victim. There are no victims in this tent or in the living room, wherever you are. We choose what we do. It says in verse 26, he who pleases God escapes her. But the sinner is taken by her. The wisdom to perceive the snares and the traps is given only to those who please God. Only to the one who's saying, I want to follow the the Lord. I want to worship him. I want to honor him. I, I want to fear God and keep his commands. As Ecclesiastes sums it all up. He moves on, verses 27 and 28, and he starts talking about men and women in general, and he's using the imagery of math. That's not my favorite subject. It might be yours, but he's using math. Verse 27, look at it. It says, behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, Koheleth, Solomon, while adding one thing to another. He's got his agabus out or something. He's counting things up, and he says, I'm trying to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. He's not able to find that one ultimate scheme of things. He knows that understanding the world is elusive, but he's now prepping to tell what sinfulness adds up to, what the equation adds up to. Verse 28, here's here's the math. One man in a thousand I found, but a woman among all those I have not found. He does the math, and he finds out men are only one-tenth of one percent 
better than women on average when it comes to wisdom. What he's saying is neither have enough. Guys, you cannot say, oh, we win on this one. You really want to really brag about one-tenth of one percent? One in a thousand is not good. Not a good record. It's, this is hyperbole to the max. The emphasis is not on what he has found, but what he didn't find, what was missing, what was lacking. What, what, either, what either men or women have in rare commodity, what in either sex is rare, wisdom. And by the way, if, if you take this the wrong way, you're going to think this is harsh, right? Ancient Near East literature was harsh. They had extreme statements that were unkind, that were cruel. One writer said this, woman is an iron dagger, a sharp one, which cuts a man's neck. Now, Ecclesiastes is nothing like that. The Bible is being realistic, cutting to the heart, a sharp scalpel that is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And, and it's not a surprise. Man's universal sinfulness has been shown forth since Genesis 3. From the earliest time, and here's a tie-in here. Here's the tie-in. From the earliest time, sinful rebellion against God often showed up in sexual sin. The Nephilim in Genesis 6, Noah and Ham in Genesis 9, Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19, Israel keeping on sinning by marrying foreign women that they were told not to marry. And in the New Testament, the theme just continues on. Romans 1 Romans 1 identifies sexual sin due to sinful rebellion. All the, the lists, a lot of the lists in the New Testament of sins begin with sexual morality and impurity. So Ecclesiastes is, is accurately evaluating that we ought to beware sexual sin and admit all of us that we have all have a bent to sin in many, many ways. This is not easy uh, to, to preach, to read, to try to put into your life, but is a great sobering warning, isn't it? And then you get to verse 29. He just sums it all up. It's a great way to end a chapter. He gives a conclusion about the human race. He just concludes, drives home a single point, the source of all the problems and issues described in verses 20, uh, 15 to 28, the sum total of all of Solomon's spiritual math calculations. Look at verse 29. He says, see, this alone I found. Here it is. He's going to sum it all up. He says first that God made man upright. But he sought out many schemes. Man is to blame for wisdom being so rare in man. Mankind created neither sinful nor neutral but upright, perfect in God's sight before the fall. Uh, the word upright is used of a heart that's predisposed, uh, predisposed to faithfulness to God, that's predisposed to obedience to God, that loves God. And so despite original uprightness, sin enters in. Romans 5.12 says, Sin came into the world through one man, Adam. Death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so he says at the last part of 29, he says, they, and he's talking collectively here, they collectively have sought out many schemes. And there's an interesting play on words here. 
You'll notice that the, the word scheme appears twice in verse 27 and once here in verse 29 in our English Bibles. But in the Hebrew, they're two different words, but very similar sounding, almost identical words. The first word in verse 27 is heshbon, and it means a reckoning. It means a conclusion, like I wanted to find the scheme of things, to find the reckoning or conclusion of life, and I couldn't do it. But he found that man makes many schemes. And there's the second word in verse 29, a slightly different word, hishbon. Not heshbon, but hishbon. And it means a plan. It means an invention. It can, it can be used of, of elaborate war machines being made. Solomon did not find out the ultimate conclusion of things, the scheme. He found out that all mankind devises all kinds of nefarious, harmful, you know, God, uh, God pushing, pushing God away, plots, schemes. It's a blunt evaluation, isn't it? But we all know it's true. And human sin just echoes through the Bible, right? In Genesis 6, the Lord saw, pre-flood, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In Jeremiah 17, says the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. And, and what happens? People will go on and on about the goodness of man. Many of you might have been tempted to adopt that idea. Well, mankind is essentially good. You ignore what the Bible says, and oh, this is what people tell me, and I, I pretty much think it. Yeah, mankind is essentially good. No, they're not. Depravity is dangerous, destructive, divisive, depressing. And, and you know that even those who deny God know what mankind is like? There was a guy named Diogenes. He was called Diogenes the Cynic. His nickname was The Dog, and it was not a positive nickname. He died in Corinth in 323 BC. He lived like a shameless dog, like a, a shameless animal. That's why they called him the dog. And he was a cynic. And he criticized Plato. He, he mocked Alexander the Great. He hated people. He was captured by pirates. He was sold into slavery. And then you have people like Ralph Waldo Emerson. He was a pantheist. He believed that God was in everything and everyone. And he suggested self-reliance is the key to everything. Sounds like... An American poet didn't like people. Just rely on yourself. A lot of you might be living that way, actually. Here's what he said. Here's what Emerson said. The masses are rude, lame, unmade, pernicious in their demands and influence, and need not to be flattered, but to be schooled. I wish not to concede anything to them, but to divide them and break them up. There's your Emerson. And what we see, you can just go on and on and on. What you see is what's true about us. We, you and me, and everyone else. We devise many schemes. We're fallen. We're unfaithful sinners who can be so wretched and conniving and, and cruel. God made man upright, but they have found countless ways to go against him, to sin against him, to push him away. I mean, mankind's sin is so perverse that we invent deliberate plans to go against the word of God, to go against the will of God, to go against the ways of God. And we seek it out. Do you notice that, that phrase, that man has sought out many schemes? Seek out means it indicates something very persistent, and there's a lot of it. It's universal. 
Uh, It's manifested in many ways. There's a lot of uh, variety. It's varied in its variety that everyone, as Isaiah 53 says, has each gone to his own way. We, We invent new and improved ways to sin against God. Numbers 32 says, you've sinned against God. Be sure your sin will find you out. So we're being told pretty, pretty clearly, pretty painfully, don't unwisely scheme to get your way. You're going to be found out. But aren't we hardwired to rebel? Just the other day, I was at a restaurant. I do this all the time. They'll come to the table and they say, uh, be careful, hot plate. Be careful this plate is hot. What's the first thing we do? You got to touch the plate. If they're telling you the plate is hot, you got to touch the plate. If you don't say anything about the plate, I'm not thinking about the plate. I'm thinking about the food. This is what we do. Or, or you see the do not enter wrong way sign. You're like, I want to go there. Or, or keep out. Hmm, let's see. What can I do? Sin incites selfish rebellion. Righteous rebellion. Self-righteous rebellion. Uh, sin condemns others and justifies ourselves. Sin keeps you from listening to the word of God. And the pride just pushes you to proclaim your, your priority. Me first. Pride keeps you from admitting your sin. Pride just blinds you. Blinds you to your true condition. Pride just lies on our hearts like a stubborn weight. Remember the Fonz? Happy Days? Remember Happy Days, the, that old show, the Fonz? He couldn't get the word out that he was wrong. He couldn't say I was wrong. We find it very difficult to admit when we are wrong. But if you would find rest in God, there's something you should pursue instead of sinful scheming. It's biblical, it's right, but we push away from it. Instead of sinful scheming, pursue holiness. Holiness. And by the way, if you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm a Christian, but I don't want to do that. Well, the Bible says without holiness, you will not see Jesus. Holy, the Holy Spirit wants to make every Christian more like Jesus. And the one who admits their many sin, sins just does so, seeking God's forgiveness and holiness, that you want to live a life that is pleasing to God. Go with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Go in your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians 4, and I'll go ahead and read verses 1 through 7. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. This is the will of God, your sanctification, being made holy, progressively sanctified, that you abstain from sexual immorality. There's the tie-in again. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. We told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, God has not called us for impurity, but what? In holiness. Hebrews 12.10 says God disciplines us for our good. Like our parents tried their best to discipline us right, but God disciplines us for our good that we what? Might share his holiness. He grants repentance that you would confess and turn from your sin. He grants repentance. That's a result of of a reborn heart. Repentance is a sign of regeneration. Repentance admits its utter need for Christ. If you're not a Christian today, you need to come to Christ. You need to come to Christ, come to faith in Christ, believe in Jesus Christ. What did you, why would you believe in Jesus Christ? Because God the Son 
came to earth to die for our sins in our place, to shed his blood, to pay for the penalty that our sins deserve. And he died on the cross. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again. And he is coming back. He's coming back with blessing for those who love him and obey him and judgment for those who, who push him away, who deny him, who, who refuse him. Come to Christ. You know, repentance unlocks the floodgates of forgiveness. Forgiveness is granted to repentant sinners. Forgiveness causes you to be humble. Forgiveness points you to Christ. If you want to seek holiness, you need to focus on Christ. Many of you know that I like John Owen, a Puritan John Owen, and in his book on the mortification of our sin, here's what he said. He said, meditate on Christ's provision for killing your sin. Remember, Christ came to give repentance, no matter how weak we are, for from his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. He can kill our enemies no matter their strength. He can renew your strength no matter your weakness. He says, expect Christ to provide relief for your burden. Christ never fails those who expect his rescue. Christ is a merciful high priest who pities us in our distress. You know what mercy does? It alleviates the misery that sin brings. Christ knows our weakness. Owen says, look upon Christ under the weight of our sins, praying, bleeding, dying. He died to kill sin, to cleanse his people from sin's every stain. That's what Jesus has done for us. Some of you might remember a 1988 Bobby McFerrin song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. The Bible says, don't worry, be holy. You, you won't see the Lord without holiness, and the Holy Spirit makes uh, every Christian holy and more like Jesus. So we're seeing in this passage, don't be so sure of yourself and your search for this grand scheme of things. You're not going to find it out. Cling to the word of God and pray. And do not sinfully scheme to get your way. You're going to be found out, and the Lord knows. Pursue holiness. And then the last thing, just in verse 29, and, and this really washes through this passage, and it's really all the way through Ecclesiastes, and it's all the way through the, the Old Testament, and it's all the way through the New Testament, it's all the way through the Bible, a, a thread running through the Bible, that God is absolutely sovereign over all, and that you must find your rest in Him. Not in your worries, because that's not going to be any rest. Not in your efforts, but in Christ. Do you notice that in verse 29 it says, God made? There's the creator God making man. And do you notice that it also says in verse 26, he who pleases God escapes the adulterous woman. Uh, God is to be pleased. God is to be worshipped. God is to be feared. God is to be obeyed. He is the sovereign king over all. He holds all things together by the word of his power. So we, we, we need to yield to his plans. We need to consider his ways. We need to accept that his ways are higher beyond finding out. Even in the midst of how tough it is to live, in, live, live life. I mean, think about how tough 2020 has been. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, God said it would be tough living this life that you would have tough personal relationships, that you have tough work, that you would have a tough existence. It'd be fraught with discouragement and danger and despair. 
But what you need to remember with me is that God promised a savior back in Genesis chapter three. And, and all the way through history, he was angling. And then at the right time, Christ died for our sins. Christ came to save sinners, uh, to mercifully alleviate the misery that sin brings into your life and my life. What does Titus 3 tell us? The grace of God has appeared, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to redeem. So if you're a believer today, you're just humbled by God's grace, right? And you're just like, I'm just so grateful that God chose to save me. And, and I know it matters how I live. As Romans 12 tells us, don't be conformed to this world. Just be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't selfishly isolate from the world. Don't, don't sinfully immerse yourself in the world. Just redemptively interact in the world. Don't approve idolatry against God. Don't, don't applaud or cheer on any wickedness. Don't transgress your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't sin with your body. Glorify God in your body. Glorify God or not. Think about it. You glorify God or not with your thoughts and your words and your actions. You glorify God or not with what you do with your body. You glorify God or not with how you treat others. And, and there's a reason why God said you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. There's a reason. It all is connected. You cannot say, well, this is my church life, this is my work life, this is my home life, and they're all separate, and, and it's just what I do at church. No. Every part affects each other, and every part counts for the kingdom, and Jesus is the king. He expects and enables absolute unrelenting followership on the part of every professing believer. And he empowers it. It's God who is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. He who began a good work in you will complete it. What did Paul say? I, I worked harder than all of them, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God with me. God working in him and through him for his glory. It was one day for every believer, this is our hope. We will be with Jesus forever. Revelation 7 just gives us this glimpse. There will be a great multitude that no one can number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, praising the glories of God's grace in Christ. This is why we stop searching for the grand scheme of things that we won't find out. We, this is why we cling to the word of God in prayer. Let me, let me just say, right now, in your life, right now, just think about the biggest question in your mind, in your heart, that you're always trying to figure out. It's causing you so much worry and anguish and pain. The biggest question in your mind that you want God to answer for you. Let it go. Just let it go right now. Leave it in God's hands. You know how much worry that's going to save you and I this week? And then don't sinfully scheme to get your way. It will be found out, and, and you just need to pursue holiness. And let me just say, right now in your life, right now, just right this moment, whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, whatever sin is weighing you down, whatever temptation keeps hounding you and you keep giving into, let it go. Like right now, just let it go and look to Christ. 
And this is the scary part because it's so easy for us to say, well, I'll figure this out between me and the Lord. But we're in, in the church, we're together in Christ. And the church, and the things that are spoken to the church are spoken, the yous are spoken plural. And that we are to interact with each other as we go through this painful life, exposing ourselves in the community, processing it together, and talking to our spouses and kids and brothers and sisters and friends in Christ. Don't go individualistic on this. God is absolutely sovereign over all. You must find your rest in Christ. As the psalmist says, my soul find rest in God alone. You know that when Jesus was born, some were searching for him to kill him. Some were searching for him to worship him. Some schemed against him in the worst possible way. Maybe even in your life today, God has pointed out to you that you have been scheming against Christ and his church. But Jesus Christ is the sovereign Savior in whom we find rest. Run to him. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, we thank you that we can take your yoke upon us and learn from you. Thank you, Lord, that you are gentle and lowly in heart, and we will find rest for our souls in you. Thank you, Lord. May you, may you give us strength to stop searching and scheming and just to rest in you as we could never imagine so great mercy that you have poured out on us, boundless grace. Christ bore our sin and shame. The cross speaks forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, King of kings, that you call us your own. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand, if you're able, and respond, singing, God, you're so good.
so good, so gracious and merciful. Much, much reason to praise him. Uh, tonight, we're going to be here under the tent, 6.30. We're even going to have heaters out here, uh, but make sure you bring some jackets just in case. We didn't need them today, huh? Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful day. And if, if you haven't done that QR code yet that's on those polls, well, go check it out. It's a way for you to, uh, if you're new, let us know who you are. We'd love to find that out. Also, uh, if you want to serve in some way, also if you want to update your info. So really, everyone can try it. It's kind of cool to do that. And then remember the baptisms on December 6th. If you're a Christian, we're, we're celebrating Believer's Baptism. It's going to be warm water in the, in the horse troughs. It's going to be awesome. So, all right. So I just promised something that I believe we can deliver. All right. Let's go ahead and close with Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, and then, we'll, and then we'll go. Now may the God of peace, who brought up again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you, that's you plural, with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.